0: Open up your Bible or your phone or whatever it is to John chapter 17. That's what we're looking at again. We're in the last of our three weeks looking at Jesus' prayer for us in John 17. Quentin already referenced that week one we did grounded in love. How important it is that, the lo- that you are grounded in the love of God. Nothing else in your life is more important than coming to know, understand, and experience on a regular basis the love that God has for you. I'll say it again because some of you are turning and not paying attention. Nothing is more important in your life than coming to understand and experience and enjoy the love that God has for you on a regular basis. It's the same love that the Father has eternally had for His Son. He has that for you because you are connected to Jesus if you are a believer in Him and a follower of His. And so it's a really big deal. And then last week we looked at the fact that because God has brought us into the church together... As believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, um, that his desire is that we would be one, that we would be united, that we would enjoy a unity amongst us. We wouldn't be at war with one another. And as part of that, the world outside would look at the church, this amazing work that the Holy Spirit does in uniting us together and look at that and think, that's amazing. Only, only God can do that. There's something fundamentally different about those people than there is about other people. I want to join that. I want some of that be part of that unity, be filled with that same spirit. And then this week, we're looking at the fact that we are sent in in love. And there's one verse that this comes out of from John chapter 17, verse 18, if you're making notes there. Jesus, this prayer here is a mixture, it's like a, a mixed prayer conversation. So some of the things he's asking the Father, some of the things he's sort of just talking with him, and this sort of falls into that category. He's not really asking anything here. He's more just declaring something that's true about himself and about us then. And he says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This is repeated in a different, slightly different wording. Uh, In John chapter 20, Jesus is still Jesus speaking again. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, this is after his resurrection, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. As the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I, I mentioned, I think, at the beginning of the series that these are three foundational things that we want to cover in these three weeks. These are three big blocks that you get to build your life on and your view of God about. And I, um, if you're newish here, i ask like a million questions uh, while I'm preaching. Um, here's the first question. Why are you on the earth? Is there somebody answering the question? Oh, no. <laughs> That's unusual. I mean, you're welcome to shout out a couple of answers, but I'm probably not going to run with with it. Why are you here? The banner over your life is is that you exist to bring glory to God. Everything exists to glorify God and bring glory to Him. But in a more specific detail, how do you do that? You do it by doing what He's put you on the earth to do. Next question. Why are you on the earth? What are you doing? How are you doing it? I know some of you are in banking, some of you are in law, some of you teach, you know, some of you, there's like half the church are doctors. Uh, yeah, we all do different vocations. as architects, graphic designers, the that works. That's what you do during the day. But why are you on the, for the grand purpose of your life and the nature in which you do it? Jesus says, as you have sent me, I am sending them. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, The banner over your life is that you are a sent one. You are an apostle. I mean, you can put that on your CV. Apostle. Uh, It's true because it's in the Bible. I mean, it may not get you a job anywhere. It may get you fired from your current job if you go in there and say, I am now an apostle. I'd like you to reference me correctly. Uh, But that's what it means a sent one, apostolos, a sent one, a messenger. That's you, that's me. That's the banner over your life. Jesus has sent you into the world to be a messenger. That is an overarching thing. And he sent you in the character and in the nature in the same way that he was sent. But Before we dive into all the specifics of this, we need to understand when he says, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Unless we understand the way Jesus was sent, we have no idea how we're supposed to be sent. You with me? You've got to understand how Jesus was sent before you understand how we are then sent by Jesus. And right at the outset, I think I need to say that there's, there's ways in which Jesus is sent that are unique, that don't translate across to us. Um, there are, there's a long list. We could spend a long time just going through that list, but I'll give you a couple. Jesus comes um, through a, a virgin birth, immaculate conception. That's not That's not you. Uh, I hate to break it to you, it's only happened once, it's not going to happen again. Uh, he comes into the world differently to the way you came into the world. Um, he, he comes on a mission to, to save the world through giving his life on a cross and bearing the weight of the sin of the world and being a, a sacrifice, a penal, paying the penalty for our sins so that the whole world can be reconciled to God. He sent into the world to do that. You're not sent into the world to do that. He has a slightly different mission to what we do. But there are many areas where the nature of his sending do overlap with ours. And I want us to spend the majority of our time looking at those. How has Jesus been sent in ways that correspond with our sending? So the first one, I think, is that the Father sends Jesus to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. To bring about the kingdom of God on earth. Have a look at these two verses, one from Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus speaking. He says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mark 1, verse 14, after John was arrested, this is John the Baptist, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus, again and again and again, when you read the Gospels, he teaches on the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. This is like the the main thrust of his teaching, is to teach what the kingdom of God is like. This new kingdom that he ushers in with his coming. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God's will is done perfectly. It's the reign and the rule of, of God. He's the king and he has a kingdom and where that is exercised, things happen in accordance with the king's wishes. So the kingdom has come, and Jesus is coming, but you'll know as well as I do that it's not fully here, is it? Jesus is a returning king, he's coming back again, he's promised that, to fully consummate what he started. This is, this is super important to, to get um, as a theological concept, that when Jesus is first coming, he ushers in the kingdom in, in parts, so you can experience some of it, but not all of it yet. And so, we see it breaking through in the ministry of Jesus, and now, and it's going to keep going. And Jesus said, This kingdom would spread, it would grow, it would grow, it would grow. And finally, one day, He's going to come back, and everything will be fully under His kingdom, reign, and rule. Everything will be as He wants it to be. And Jesus comes teaching about the kingdom. Ushering in the kingdom. He says, if I'm healing, I'm driving out these demons, I'm doing all these things. The kingdom of God has come amongst you. It's now at hand. You can believe that it's here. Now, how does this connect with us? Well, as saint ones, we just continue the mission that he started. You're a kingdom worker. God has sent you to continue the work that Jesus started. Jesus sends us to continue. The Father sends Jesus to establish the kingdom. Jesus sends us to continue the work that he started in bringing about the kingdom of God on earth. Now, I know this sounds like quite a hectic thing. Some of you are thinking, I don't feel very qualified to bring about the kingdom of God uh, on earth. But this is, this is like the meat and potatoes of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. When the disciples are wondering how to pray, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? What does he teach them? He teaches them the Lord's Prayer. That you grew up in school saying. Did you not? Well some of you did. I mean the, some of the schools still sing them. Our kids go to primary school where they still sing the Lord's Prayer. It's amazing. I'm like I want to stop all the kids when they leave. I'm saying do you, do you want to do sit down? Let's just have a quick chat about what you just sang. Like, Do you understand what you just said? Because listen to it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's how Jesus taught you to pray. You get on your knees, you approach your father, worship him and then ask, Lord, will your kingdom come on earth now as it already is in heaven? In heaven, everything that God wants to happen happens. And Jesus taught us to pray. He said, you pray that I would do that now on the earth. And some people use the phrase of, bringing down heaven to earth. I don't want to get all weird about it. But that's the reality of it, is that you're a kingdom participant. You're a work in that, and you are encouraged and taught by Jesus himself to pray, God, would you bring about your kingdom? May it be in Parkhurst as it is in heaven. It's better we thinking about it and praying about it. May it be in Parkhurst, because we say, may your kingdom come on earth. It's just like somewhere in the earth, God's kingdom is busting out. Would, would things in Parkhurst look like they look in heaven? Hey, in my, in my complex, in my gated community, in my suburb, in my township, in my city, in Johannesburg, as in heaven. You realize when you pray like that, there's, there's a bit of a gap, isn't there? There's a lot to pray and a lot to do. The kingdom is still needing to be worked, at, worked out in the world. Matthew 24 verse 14, it says this, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. George Verva, the famous OM missionary, says if you want the king to come, then finish the job. If you want the king to come, then finish the job. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You want the king to come, get on with the mission that Jesus started, that he's given us to do. It's a message of the kingdom of God, the reign and the glorious reign and the rule of Jesus Christ over his people. This kingdom is a kingdom of word and deed. It's of speaking and doing. Word and deed, The two things connected here. When, when Jesus is resurrected, he, he's walking on the road, I think it's the road to Emmaus, and he appears to those disciples and they don't, they don't recognize him and they start having a little wag there as they walk in and Jesus is asking them what they're talking about um, and we just dive into the story here in Luke 24 from verse 18. It says, the one named Cleopas answered him, and, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? Like he's asking them, like, what's happened? Like, are they, like have you been living under a rock? Well, like, you seriously don't know what happened in the last few days here in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. A prophet powerful in action and in speech, in word and in deed. The kingdom is a together thing. They, they say, They see this in Jesus. And I just want to say before we dive into a couple of other things, that there, some people see a tension here. And it's worth exploring this a little bit because you'll find in yourself that you lean either one of these two ways um, naturally. Some people see a tension in the role of the church. What is, our, what is our purpose? What is our role? What should a church be doing? Should we be preaching the word? Should we be word people? We're talking, we're evangelizing, we're sharing about Jesus you know, we're doing all that kind of stuff, hoping that people will become believers. We're preaching. We're doing all that kind of word stuff. Or we're deeds people. You're out there loving the poor, running soup kitchens, helping the homeless, you know, working for justice, mercy, compassion. You're out there doing that. Uh, don't, don't, you don't have to go and tell everyone about Jesus. You just be a caring, loving person. Get out there, get your hands dirty. That's the way Jesus loved people. God loves people. Don't, don't go and make them have to believe what you believe, all that kind of stuff. And you'll find that already in yourself, there's a bit of a, a leaning, maybe a slight pushback to the way I'm even categorizing those things. Or you say like, sure, um, I, I think um, my, my, my sense culturally um, in many churches like ours around the world, there's, a, there's a, a, a way stronger leaning towards the deed kind of side of things. Um, if I had to, and we'll talk about some of these practical things later, if I had to say to you, guys, I need 50 people to come and pack food parcels uh, with me this afternoon. We're doing this massive drive for the homeless. It's going to be amazing. We've got this whole initiative going. Like, I need your help. Please come. Like, I I think we'd have 60 people there. We'd have 50 plus reserves. We'd have a full bench. You know, like, everyone would be like, hundred percent, I can do that, give a couple of hours. If I said to you guys, I need 50 people, um, this area downtown of Joburg has opened up. There's been a massive crisis there. It's just people are confused and there's been, like a, or like there's been a big shooting or something there. People are traumatized. They need people to go in there just to love them and to share the good news of Jesus with them. Come alongside them, talk about Jesus. They've got questions about where's God when people are suffering. I need people to come with me. We're going to go door to door and we're going to sit with people and we're going to talk about Jesus with them. You know, I think we'd all fit in my car. You know, like, okay, all three of us, like, let's rock and roll, you know? Yeah, I think that's a culturally a thing. People are nervous. Most of, most of us, most Christians in this part of the world, it's like, I'd rather just show, like, what would let my life preach. I don't, I don't want to add any words to that. I'm terrified of opening my mouth and saying anything exclusive or specific about Jesus that's going to end me in hot water. Um, and, and you'll find yourself... Somewhere there on that spectrum. And some people see that there's a tension there. We should send all our finances in this direction. Or all of our finances. Or all of our time in and this and this. And I don't think there's as much of a tension as we make it out to be. When you look at Jesus, you see these things coming together. I do think though, as Tim Keller would say, there is a primacy. He talks about there being a primacy and an interdependence. He says one of them does come first though. Out of word and deed ministry. One of them comes first. But they are interdependent on each other. Think of it like this. What would be your motivation to go and love and to serve the poor? What would be your motivation? People, there's lots of people who love and serve the poor. What are their motivations? A good gospel motivation, a motivation that doesn't go sideways and can be sustained in the long haul, is a motivation that comes from the love of God, a heart transformed in a relationship with God. Something is First. Something is first. And when this is, this is right, a relationship with God, it should spring forth a love for neighbor, concern for the poor, following Jesus, doing what he has done. But this has to come first. If you put the one before the other, you've got a bunch of people who do good but don't know Jesus. And there's a time limit on the doing good. There's not a time limit on knowing God. You were designed to come into a relationship with him. One does come first. One is more important than the other. But they are connected. You can't say, I love God, I've come into a relationship with him, I'm a word kind of person, i leave the serving the poor to everybody else. This is massively important. You can't do that. One must lead to the other. They are connected. But don't put the cart before the horse. Word and deed. Let's have a quick look at the word ministry. How does the Father send Jesus in a word ministry? The first point is that he sends Jesus with a message that isn't his own. The Father sends Jesus with a message that it wasn't his own. Have a look. John chapter 12 from verse 49. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I've said. I know that his command is eternal life, so the things that I speak I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus doesn't come with his own message. He comes to deliver a message that he's been given from the Father. It's amazing. It's amazing that, that, that unity in the Trinity there, the Father explains to the Son. This is what I want you to tell them. You are the good news. You are the message. As you speak, Jesus says in multiple places, I don't speak on my own. Everything that comes out of my mouth has already come to me from the Father. Why is this important? Because... That is our role if we're sent in the same way that the Son is sent. You are a messenger without your, it's not your message that you're taking. You're a a messenger, you're not an author. You are relaying a message that's already been given to you. You are telling people of something else. Think of the various ways that the scriptures describe us. Messengers, ambassadors, witnesses, soldiers, all of these are like, Delegated or deferred authority or message. You, know, you get a, an ambassador who goes rogue and does their own they get fired. Well, in normal places, they, uh, they get fired or recalled. Some places, uh, some governments don't quite roll like that. But uh, you're not supposed to, as an ambas- ambassador, do your own thing. You're supposed to, as an ambassador, represent the one who sent you. And you're supposed to do it well and faithfully to their wishes. That's your role. You're an ambassador. You're a witness. You, you don't tell anyone necessarily what you've done. You're just telling them about something else that happened. Yes, it happened to you. So you, are, you can witness to what the effect that God has had in your life. But that's not the main part of your story. You need to be witnessing to an event and a person. You need to be, your story needs to be pointing people to the truth and the authority and the facts of Jesus Christ, not anything else. You're, you're a soldier. You're not the general. You do what. You've been commanded to do. So we go with a message that isn't our own. We go with a message that Jesus had. We take his words that he received from the Father and we tell people that. The second thing related to this deep thing is that Jesus comes with a clear message. He comes with a clear message. I, I know that there's a lot of stuff when you read the Bible. When you speak, even, even sometimes when you're listening to Jesus, he's speaking in Parables. You know, when he's here, he's teaching people, and they're like, huh? What? Like, that's a cool story, but what on earth does that mean? Anybody know? They're all looking left and right, and they're like, and then Jesus walks away. I mean, that happens in the Bible. You have to own and acknowledge. Jesus is like, hey, guys, the kingdom of God is like this, la, 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 story, and they're like, huh? And he's like, see ya. Think about it. Jesus wants you to use your brain to think. And he also says that the spirit will reveal to you what that actually means. Sometimes he explains it to his disciples. They say, what did that story mean? He says, look, I'll explain. This means this. This means this. That means that. Oh, they're like, okay, cool. I still don't think they got all of it, just like we don't get all of it. But he's explaining it. Some of it's vague, but some of it is as clear as a bell. Jesus does not mince his words. He comes with a clear, clear message. Let's have a look at a couple of things that he says that are crystal, crystal clear. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says to him, answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not I am a way. I am a truth. I am a way of life. Mm -mm. I am the, the, the. He's not an option. He's not on the buffet table. He is the way, the truth. The life, no one, no one is getting into relationship with the Father outside of Jesus. It's it's clear. It's not ambiguous. That's not a parable. There's nothing murky about that. It's crystal, crystal clear. Matthew 16 from verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? It's not vague. It's not speaking out both sides of his mouth. He's like if you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. If you're willing to lose it for him, you get to keep it because then you are found in him. You get life that really is life. This is the call of what it means to follow him. That's why, as Christians, we should never throw up our hands and think, this following Jesus is so tough, I thought it would be way easier. It's like, why did you ever think that? Whoever explained that to you? And maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Uh, I need to do proper, you know, reverse marketing. Whoever's told you that following Jesus is just going to be easy, they lied to you. I'm sorry, I don't know who they were, but they lied. That's false advertising. It is super tough. It involves cross-carrying. And dying to yourself. is come to the end of yourself so that you can find another life in Jesus Christ. It's not like running and skipping through the daisies. It's tough. Does God make it bearable and full of joy on the road? Oh, absolutely. Does he carry you? Does he lift you? Does he protect you? Is it worth the suffering a thousand times over? Of course it is. But don't let anyone con you that it's, that it's going to be easy. As you start out with Jesus, if you're not yet walking with him, it may get tougher before it gets easier. Many people who aren't yet Christians, their whole life is wrapped up in sinful behavior and addictions and complicated mess and pleasures and just junk. Unraveling all of that stuff that you've got yourself into, that is not easy. There's a lot of God's power to do that, but don't think it's easy. But the life is in following the son. The life is in following him. John chapter 3, verse 3. How plain is this? Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you don't get to see the kingdom of God. All of his teaching, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. He says, you're not going to see anything unless you are born again by the Spirit of God. Those of you who are Christians, you know what I'm talking about. Say, At some point on my, on my road, this happened to me. Some people don't like the term born again believer. But I mean, that's because the cultures hijacked it and mocked it. But the Bible loves that term because you've been born again, born anew to God. There is a new life in you. And if you're not there yet, this is what we pray would happen to you. That God would help you, bring you along the road to a place where you see Jesus as the only way, as the only one that you need and you are born again by the Spirit of God and you get to see the kingdom breaking out here and you get to live in it fully. One day. Jesus preaches a clear message. And for us, we need to make sure that we are crystal clear on what the gospel is. That we don't muddy the waters when we're communicating with people. So what does it mean, you know? Someone comes to you and says, tell me what does it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean for you to be a Christian? Well, you know, it, it means that I've got somebody in my corner when life is tough. Yeah. Well, Okay well, good luck, I'm going I'm to follow. And, they, and, they, and, and you, you tell them about the difficulty you've been through and how God carried you through it and just loved you and helped you and provided. And they're like, man, that sounds amazing. Like, sign me up. Where do I sign up? And you lead them in a prayer and they become a Christian. But what have you sold them? You've sold them the gospel that God will meet all their needs and make their life easy and help them through the difficulties. You've You've sold them a dummy. You've given them a part of the truth. You haven't given them in the full picture. And then when God doesn't do that for them, they think, I tried Christianity. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's no God. He didn't come and bail me out of my difficulty. I lost my job. This happened. All these kinds of hard things happened. Christianity is not true. God is not there. And they become atheists or something after you led them to Jesus in a prayer. You've got to give a clear gospel. And the gospel is the message and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that requires a lot of explanation and pointing to a person. But we can't afford to get murky on what the gospel is. Because there's lots of other gospels that float around at the moment. Lots of other gospels. Lots of other good newses out there. If you flick through TV, you find the prosperity gospel being preached on TV. Normally by people in flashy suits raising money for a jet or car or something, promising people all kinds of health, wealth, and everything else, if they'll just believe enough or give enough or, or, or I don't know, whatever, pray harder, whatever, you know? And it's rampant. In, in Africa, across Africa, the prosperity gospel is everywhere. And, and there's elements of truth in the prosperity gospel, like little shreds. That's the problem. Otherwise, you just dismiss it wholesale. There's elements of truth that they hijack. And it's something we need to resist and clarify. No, 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 we don't believe in a prosperity gospel. We believe, yes, in a God who prospers us in a holistic way. We believe in that. The Bible teaches that. But don't hang your hat on the prosperity gospel because it's flimsy and it's going to break your heart and lead you away from the true gospel. Many people preach and believe a self-help gospel. God gets you under, uh, under, God forgives your sin. And then you got to knuckle down and get on with it. God, like, sort of gives you a push, like a head, like God, like whizz, like off you go. And then, and then it's up to you. It's like a great start, and then the momentum slows down, and you've got to like, you've got to keep yourself going. like And eventually, you just run out of huff and puff. And then you're like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. You've got to fix, and you've got to look inside and all this kind of stuff. Self-help, you can pull yourself up with your own just grit and determination and you're going on a retreat and whatever else. And self-help, good news. And you can, and this morphs culturally, I think more and more, uh, the cultural gospel that is, is out there at the moment is, 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 is a hybridized thing of the self-help, realizing yourself. It's a, we're a hyper-individualized culture. Think of the people that you know. Think of the conversations you may have had with them. This is the cultural moment that we're in. People looking inside to find themselves. How many, people, how many of your colleagues have gone somewhere to find themselves? To find them? Maybe you've used that terminology. I'm taking some time out so I can find myself. You, you don't need to find yourself. You may not like what you find. <laughs> you need to realize that you have been found by another and that you being in yourself is not a good end uh, outcome. You need to be in another. You need to be, as we said in week one, you need to be found in him. You Apart from God doesn't go well. You're not looking to actualize, to dig deep, to be your unique self. To be free from the shackles of what society has imposed on you. All of this cultural garbage that you hear. It, it, just, it, it enslaves people further and further and further. This whole mantra of, of, of freedom. They're enslaving themselves on their own journey to the self-realization. It's getting them nowhere. And unless we come with a true gospel that, in the words of Jesus, you lose your life and you find his life, that is good news. If you tell people that they have within themselves everything to be great, and they, must, they just need to unlock their greatness, unlock their things and their unique contribution to the world. No, they're not going to find what they need looking down inside themselves. It's a false gospel, and it's all over the place. So we need to make sure we are clear, like Jesus was, on who, uh, with the gospel message. Jesus is unique in that he is both the message and the messenger, and we just get to point people to him. Let's look for a few minutes at Jesus' deeds ministry, things that he did. Jesus was deeply concerned with people and with their suffering. He's, he's feeding hungry people. He's not, just, he's not just feeding 5,000 people because he wants to show off. You read the story, he's concerned that they don't have enough food and they, they've got no time to go anywhere and get something. So he's concerned about them. So he feeds them. He reaches out to those who are suffering. He stops in his tracks. When he realizes a lady who's had a medical problem for years and years and years, he's trying to desperately reach out to him. He has a deep concern and compassion and love for the poor and the suffering and the sick His friend dies and he weeps. Jesus is concerned about people and he's motivated with love and compassion. And his doing is an essential part of his coming. It's an essential part of the kingdom, of his coming to earth. Even in the way that Jesus comes, there's something for us. In the way that he comes into earth, who does he come amongst us as? He comes as somebody who's poor. He could have come as anybody. He's God. He could have slotted into a palace somewhere and just you know, you know, if you're going from heaven to earth, it's a bit of an adjustment. You know, you don't want to go like and be all like poor and homeless and like with this low family and like teenage mom and like it's just like ah I'm coming from heaven, you know. It's like Pete when he goes on holiday. He doesn't want to like go from like a comfortable bed to like camping. The Lord's working in his heart kind of thing, he's slowly getting there, but like some people just want to go sideways when they go from their home. They don't want to go, they're happy to go up, but they don't want to go down and like, suffer. Like, oh, why would I, go? I want to sleep on the floor? That doesn't sound like a holiday. I'll just sleep in my bed, you know, under, under a roof. That's not going to blow off or anything. Jesus could have come anywhere into wealth or even middle class kind of vibe, you know. And yet he comes into poverty. And he identifies with the poor and, and the oppressed and those who are struggling. There's something in that that's a message to us. So like, these are people that are important to God. Because when he comes, he chooses to identify himself happily with those people. What about for us? I think the simple thing is that when, you, when you're grappling with what should we do, what deeds should you do, just look at Jesus and just do what he did. Find the poor among us and find ways to help them that don't hurt them. Find ways to live with compassion and love. When you look at the suffering, perhaps don't turn your heart, don't harden your heart and look the other way and hope it's going to go away. This is harder in South Africa than in many other places because you can't go more than a few blocks in this country without bumping into somebody who's suffering, who's in great difficulty, who has needs. But you know what, guys? We've become way less human when you harden your heart on a regular basis and say, I'm not even going to make eye contact with you. I'm just going to ignore you. Okay, you passed my car. Thank goodness. Super awkward. If you stand there, still like oh, <laughs> pretending to adjust the radio. Everyone's got all these weird things. You see people in the traffic. Some people are fist bumping and engaging and stuff. Never. I don't know. I don't know if that works. I try that sometimes, but I don't. These are unique South African problems. I'm not saying. I'm not giving you a, a, a lesson on how to engage people with the robots. I'm saying that if our hearts, we need to make sure that with all of the suffering around us, we need to make sure that we don't harden our hearts to the plight of the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed around us. And we just live in our little echo chamber, our little bubble here. Thank you, God, that that's not me. I read an article today. I'm not sure if it's 100% true. Maybe how somebody knows that. Apparently, there's 10, 10 million South Africans currently looking for a job. 10 million. People in our country looking for a job, actively looking for a job, not sitting on their hands, actively looking for work. Those of us who, by God's grace, have and who claim to follow Jesus need to take very, very seriously what he says about not hardening your heart and doing good where you can. Doing good where you can. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating you sell everything that you have and become poor and then give all your stuff away. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm saying you be very, very careful. We need to be very careful. We don't harden our hearts, guys, to the plight of the poor. Find ways. Pray. Get serious with God. Say, God, how do I I love and meet the needs of people in a way that doesn't hurt them around us? Because there's ways that you can help that actually hurt people and keep them in cycles of poverty. How do we break generational poverty in this country, in this land? It's a probing prophetic question for the church in South Africa. Just find out what... Have a look at what Jesus did and, and live like that. Um, I know I'm dating myself as a Christian here, but uh, years ago, when I, was, I think yeah, when I was a teenager, some, some genius brought out these, what would Jesus do bangles? Um, some of you who've been Christians for a while, maybe you re- remember them. They're like these color, like almost canvassy strip things that just had like white embroidered thing like WWJD you know what would Jesus do and like the trend was to have like probably like six or something like you'd need multiple colors because obviously the message didn't get through with just one of them on your arm you needed like a whole bunch kind of thing like, and some people say like oh it's a bit of a lame question what, did, what would Jesus do but I don't think it's the worst question ever ask yourself in a suggestion ah, how would Jesus react in this how would Jesus respond to this person he may not give the money at the robot but he certainly wouldn't harden his heart to people he would engage. He would find ways. He was actively helping, and his deeds ministry shows the coming of the kingdom is a concern for those who don't have. The last thing we see here, where the Father sends the Son and how we are sent, is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. I'll just give you, I'll just look at this one verse from Luke chapter 4. There's many of these. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led into the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in his earthly body was a man who had a Spirit-empowered ministry. If you want to live a life that looks like Jesus, if you want to be sent, like the Father has sent the Son, the Son sends us, he sends us in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot live obediently to God without living a Spirit-empowered life. It's not about... Gritting your teeth is not about trying harder, it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit and living a life of love and compassion and concern for the lost and love and concern for the poor out of an abundance of what God puts into you through the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it'll just dry up and you'll find yourself exhausted and fatigued and it'll be a very short-lived thing. And many of us have no concern for those who are lost and apart from God and, and either or poor. And the reason for that is because we lack the Holy Spirit because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes you feel the things that God feels. Makes you feel the things that God feels and drives us out to get involved in the lives of other people.